What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to another edition of Real Chronicles brought to you by CinematicGrill.com. I am your host, David. I am joined with Mr. Jack Renault. How are you today? Good, sir. Very good. Very good. Always, always a fun treat when I get to discuss one of my all-time favorites on the pod. And this one is no exception, although it wasn't always as such. This is definitely a movie that Took me a lot of times to get to fully appreciate, but now and today I am super happy we get to cover it. Same here. So we are covering the 55th anniversary of one of the greatest movies ever made, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, one of the most, I guess, I wouldn't say divisive movies on online because I feel like there is a, but it does evoke a lot of discussion when it comes to gen z and you're a gen zer but you appreciate everything about this movie but like there's certain folk that i've spoken to over the years that are very apprehensive towards the artsy nature of this movie and i'm like you just don't get it you just don't get it like i always it's always like empire is my favorite sci-fi film of all time and 2001 is like right after and they're like 2001 and i'm like yes 2001 (laughs) Like and then uh, it leads to other conversations. So this should be a fun discussion. I I think you mentioned off the line, and I agree. This is the most researched movie I've done so far this year, just for the simple fact of how much information is actually out on this movie, as opposed to like movies we've done on Chop Talk or other movies <laughs> on here. There is a there is a lot to get into. I obviously didn't write every note possible, but I'm sure you will help me on anything that we miss. Uh, before we get into that, just a little bit of news for the week. Uh, you're a gamer, so I was curious if you saw the teaser trailer to Twisted Metal. I did not actually, but I heard about it, and I do need to look into that. What Have you played it? Yeah, well, it was one of the first PS1 games I ever played when it first okay. came out. It's fine. I was the never ga- the game I'm, or the trailer. The game. I was okay. never really big on the game outside of like, oh, the clown, the clown thing looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like I was never really into the game that much. Uh, the trailer pretty much looks like it's going to be generic and nothing really special about it for me. Um, but I know you're a gamer, so I wanted to bring it bring it up anyway. Have you played the game? Uh, I've like touched it like once before. No, not nothing like too in depth, but. It's something that I do, like, actually have a kind of bit of an interest to just in terms of, like, the games. But, you know, finding those old PS1 games can be hard from time to time. So, and might have to result to emulating it, but I don't know if I decide to get around to it. Is there it, a release date for it? Is it uh, this June. year or next? June. June? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it's always fun when you, like, to get off not the movie topic for a second and we look at, like, gaming. Like, we had the NES Classic, the SNES Classic, and then mm-hmm. those, I feel, are phenomenal with the game selection. And then when yeah. you get to the PS1 Classic, it's, like, absolutely yeah. dumpster. <laughs> I, remember, I remember that substantially dropped. I bought it for $20, brand new, on Amazon. With how like that was was it like after like the uh, job after, after oh, the negative God. reviews and the price drop? I just do you know. Like, do you know what the initial price was? A hundred dollars. Oh, good lord! Yeah, because I I remember the NES Classic was sixty, the SNES Classic I believe was eighty eighty five, and then the PS One was higher. 
Yeah. You know? It's 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 I've always felt that the ninety six through two thousand era of graphics are pretty bad. Like N sixty four PS one mm-hmm. graphics, when you look back at it now are very not replayable is the the best the best terminology to use. Uh, Definitely. But yeah, the next bit of news is another Jack Renault piece of news. We got our first look at Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, <laughs> and also confirmation that Bella Ramsey will be playing the lead in the film. Uh, I, I'm sure you love the animation style here. Oh, oh yeah. Like, it, it, it looks like they're really going back to... Like, they did some stuff in, like, the later, like kind of 2000 like 2010 early era era where like it was still kind of like claymation but it also kind of had like this computer look to it um but this one looks like they're really just going back to like the models and claymation which i'm i'm obviously here for and i mean ardman has never really had like a bad miss i mean even the Shaun the sheep sequels are at least like fun to watch so i've never felt so confident about a best animated feature lineup this early in the year than i do about this spider-verse elemental and wish i feel like we got four done and honestly and like i don't different stuff too i don't want it studio styles and all that and i don't want to be that guy but i think i think i feel confident about five because i think super mario brothers is getting in yeah yeah if if it can if it can withstand the buzz and like there, there's been a lot of like talk about it, like on social media. But like, if there's actually like a campaign for Jack Black to get into original no- song, double nomination. If yeah, if they get yeah, if they get into original song, which like animated movies have a history of doing, so mm-hmm. I could I could definitely see there being support. Not to mention, like we know, the Academy just keeps getting younger and younger, and this definitely feels like the kind of movie that would signify just like how young they're getting. Yeah, and, and you know, I I don't per- I mean, I went positive on my Rotten Tomatoes review for it. I mean, this movie is what it is. It wouldn't be my winner, but I'd be I'd be stoked it, if yeah, it got yeah. in. <laughs> I'd be stoked for it got in. I'm just a fan of the game and the whole fact I mean, critically, it was like sitting in like the lower forties. It's up mm-hmm. to fifty nine. So we're actually almost pushing it up to fresh. Um yeah, I mean worst movies have gotten in and this is a billion dollar movie as of this weekend. So right. I can see it and I think it may be outside I don't even know this. Maybe Spider Verse gets to a billion, but that's probably it in the animation department this year. Uh, I think so, so and I, like Mario's pushed this like box office number, and I think it's like just now releasing in Japan, which mm-hmm. like that market's going to be insane for it too. It wouldn't shock me if this is the highest grossing movie of the year by the end of it all. Really? Because we Ooh. look at so say, what? What are the other like huge so uh, Gu- Guardians? probably guardians is actually projected from what i've read so far to make what mario made in its second weekend and its opening weekend yeah so (laughs) then we have that i still think it's going to do financially well but then we have Mm -hmm. um fast x which that's a hit or miss sometimes it does really well sometimes it does like middle of the road Mm -hmm. uh the flash who's gonna who knows what's gonna happen there i mean the keaton of it all may draw people and then i can't think of like oh no i don't i would say indie but indiana yeah yeah maybe uh so that's why i'm like yeah you're right i mean the japan the fact that you mentioned japan is what got me has me think i'm like this could push 1.5 1.6 
by the end of yeah, it all. Definitely, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, next bit of news is, I can't believe this is happening because I've been wanting a sequel to another movie from this actor for a long, long time, but we haven't gotten Wedding Crashers 2 yet, but we are getting a sequel to Dodgeball. Have you ever seen Dodgeball? It was a while back. Like, I, that was like a middle school kind of comedy. That was like in my stepbrother's era. We talked about that last time. Top 15 favorite comedy of mine. I adore Dodgeball. It's so funny. Uh, I'm a big Vince Vaughn guy, so the, mm-hmm. the fact that he's coming back and uh, should be interesting. I, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, Is he the only cast member they've confirmed at the moment? At the to moment, come back? yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, I kind of would like everyone to come back. I was going to say Stiller, Stiller, Stiller has to back. come back. Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> Um, I mean, I can't see them not just doing the same thing over again, but who cares? I, I, I know what that is. Uh, and then finally, I guess we can wrap the news up with the CinemaCon was this week. Uh, I come to find out, I mean, this is my ignorance for not looking at this up earlier, that there are press passes for this. I just thought there was theater, just theater owners and stuff. Um, mm. I will be trying to go to this next year. <laughs> They're, have fun i know i i was reading a, a bunch of like big name people on like twitter like missed out on passes or something i guess i don't know if they oh, were, i guess like, it's difficult of, like, to capacity. get yeah. interesting uh i will give it a shot but every year it's substantially i first discovered cinemacon five years ago uh five uh 2020 yeah about five years ago in 2018 where the halloween 2018 was coming out mm-hmm. and the first trailer to the movie dropped at cinemacon and I was following that movie heavy for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, this CinemaCon thing like looks like the best thing ever. Obviously, it's just more clips than anything, but it's very it'd be very interesting to to attend. But some of the news are I'm going to try to go through as many interesting aspects of the announcements as possible. So first bit of news was Beetlejuice 2 is confirmed to be in the works. Um, yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's take let's take it. Yeah. Tim Burton. <laughs> get, I. It has to be Winona back. It has to be Keaton Michael back. Keaton. I don't care. No offense to Gina Davis and Baldwin. We can. I'm fine. They don't need. They don't need to be in it. We get yeah. and the whole Jenna Ortega news of it all rumor. I if we get those three, like I, a glove. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. And then Burton directing. Yeah, I'm. I'm all in on that. Um, next bit of news on the horror side of things. We have Final Destination six in the works. This is actually one of my least like horror franchises. I was going to ask. You, you've never really been like vocal about that series, so I was curious. I like the first one. The second mm-hmm. one has an interesting kill that has scared me to drive on the highway at, since then. The third one has a, two really good kills. I hate the I hate the fourth one. I Whatever of the fifth one, I thought there's a twist at the end of the fifth one that makes it very i'm like oh really you have to do that it's very on the nose um Mm -hmm. and then we have the new one coming in i mean i guess it's it's a smart move with all these horror movies making so much money um this one's for for me and jack i'm very excited for the new willy wonka movie just because of who's directing director of paddington and paddington 2 Mm -hmm. we get news that hugh grant is going to star as an oompa loompa in the new Wonka film. Now, here's my question. Is he going to star as an Oompa Loompa? Or, or is all... he going to be all of them? Because, <laughs> like, the Willy Wonka, like, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, they were, like, different, if I remember correctly. But pretty sure Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was just, like, CGIing, like, one guy. One guy and just, like, everything. Duplicating them, yeah. I so hope it's... Or it would be hilarious just having one, like, uber-famous Oompa Loompa and then just having, like, 
500 Hugh Grants would also be equally hilarious. So. Yeah, I think it's going to be the first thing you said. Like, more <laughs> in tradition to the original than than this one. I'm I, I'm really excited for this movie. I we, we still only have, like, that's not even, like, a photo from the movie, right? No, like that one, we don't have anything. Like a photo of Timmy, like, behind the scenes. Yeah, so, so we really haven't even gotten it. And, I mean, it's releasing in this, at perfect time. It's a Christmas movie. So it's mm-hmm. very, I think this will do very well at the box office. Um, next bit of news from Comic-Con is... More horror news. We got our first logo for Saw 10. Have you seen any of the Saws? I've seen the first one. Like like I've mentioned, I'm usually to see the first one and then test out the waters if I want to go deep. I don't rewatch this franchise because this is a very hard franchise to rewatch because of how yeah. it, it's, it's what I like to call the gore porn era. Sure. Yeah. And some of it is a little bit much, but I, for the most part, I do enjoy most of the films in here, so looking forward to this uh the one i'm looking forward to that i got into an argument on instagram over is uh david gordon green's exorcist film is titled the exorcist believer um we got our first trailer at CinemaCon, and it showed linda blair and ellen bernstein in it and then one of one of the i'll read you exactly what the tweet said because i found it very interesting so one of the people that saw the trailer said uh i wasn't sold on the return of reagan and dgg's exorcist at first but now seeing linda blair confront one of the two possessed girls with a cold rating of we've met before i'm like okay okay i think if she's not a supporting player and she's actually like fully engrossed in this i'd be i'm very interested in it but the big Mm -hmm. argument i've had with people over the last couple of days is the idea of like we don't want this like the exorcist has had great sequels Mm mm-hmm like one good sequel for me, and the rest are absolute hot garbage. I, I'm so there, yeah. There's possibility for there is possibility for a good sequel there. Yeah, even if it's mediocre, it's better than two and and the and the Schrader ones. It's it's I don't get it. You you but you know how social media is. Everyone seems to have something mm-hmm. to complain for. This I don't have much news for outside of like they showed the first seat the first trailer to Dune two. Uh, Denise stated that it's going to be very much a war film as opposed to a very slow methodical pace entry like the first one was uh we also got more barbie news i mean it's it's coming uh the that, sweep <laughs> i i mean well, i feel good about some nominations there uh the we got some oppenheimer news which i don't need to hear any more news we're getting a trailer next week with hooked with uh guardians uh, and let me see if there's anything else that I missed. Oh yeah, the Flash debuted. To um, I oh it. How can I put this? I always love being one of the first people to see a movie, and I always I I tend to lean. I only really post reactions to things I really like because I just feel like it's I don't know. There's difference between writing a negative review and then just ultimately bashing it from the start. I just kind of just like to be sure be positive. Some of these though. Um, I'm not Twitter. Twitter's great. The Flash is hands down one of the greatest superhero films of all time. The Flash is an ultimate going experience and has a little bit of everything. Um, sure. I, I, <sighs> the Flash is wildly entertaining. A tone reminiscent of your favorite eighties movie in the light of Batman 1989 and Superman 78. The Flash is did, a, a tone to your favorite '80s movie. Did they specify, or are they just saying your favorite '80s movie? '80s superhero. The Flash, comic, with, 
comic book movie. Okay, and stuff. okay. I was gonna say if they're saying any '80s movie, I was like superhero with After Hours. Let's go. <laughs> Believe the hype. Christopher Nolan's movies aside, The Flash is the greatest DC movie of the last thirty years. Belongs in the same conversation with Superman's 1978 and Batman 1989. The movie breaks incredible new ground in superhero cinema and honors of DC lore. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of these things. Uh, I'm very. I mean, the trailer and the reactions show that Michael Keaton is going to be in this a lot more than I expected. So for that alone, three stars. Uh, I don't know how long. Guaranteed. Guaranteed three stars walking in if Keaton is in for at least. If he's in more than an hour, I'm like, that's it. I'm in. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm very excited for it. I Obviously, this is going to get a lot of backlash for obvious reasons, but I am very interested as to where we go here and uh last bit on the oppenheimer news are you finally happy we have new photos of killers of the flower not oppenheimer killers of the flower moon after a year of the same photo <laughs> you know honestly i would have been fine if they just dropped the trailer without any other photos because i was probably <laughs> a real big fan. like uh, they, they dropped the news about the killer's runtime being like 328 and the top comment on it was great Three hours and 28 minutes of Leonardo looking up at a roof with Lily Gladstone. <laughs> I think so this is going to be, I'm not going to be at Cannes, but this would be great if we hear that when that scene pops up and that image, everyone just gives it a standing ovation. <laughs> <laughs> like we've, we've, we've made it, guys. We actually made it to this scene. Uh, yeah, uh, it's Oppenheimer. It's Marty. Let's go. I mean, I keep seeing Oppenheimer. It's Killers of the Flower Moon. It's Marty. I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, and that's all the news I have today. Uh, let's get into some of what we watched. You said that you didn't have much, right? Yes, man. Dead week and finals have been killing me, but I always have time of the week for two things that uh, I'm sure we'll talk about here in a minute. Uh, yeah. You can go ahead. I, I can talk about... I'll start with those, because I can, and I'll get to the movies. I can talk about two episodes of Barry now, not three. Uh, <sighs> yeah, man, the direction in these two episodes have been pretty... <laughs> Pretty damn phenomenal. Bill H- yeah. And Bill Hader's talking about, you know, like they're giving hit, or he's talking about wanting to make feature films after Barry concludes it. At this point, it's like just blank check the guy. Just yeah. let him do what he wants because, like, this whole final season is like all directed by him and he's already like, once you see this next episode, I think you're really just going to be like in for the rest of the season and prioritizing it for like the monday watches like along with succession i'm very worried i'm very worried it just keeps getting like this more than succession i think at this point i'm like i really just have no idea like where it could go because like i i have ideas with succession but like barry i really just have like no fathomable idea other than like tiny little like plot occurrences that could happen but like i don't know what like the end game is yeah i agree know what it could be that's what stood i mean succession overall is amazing but that's what stood out with me with barry most so far the season is haters direction has been impeccable so far um Mm -hmm. with succession i are we ready to i gotta say i know we talk we joke about this off the line are we ready to put hugo in the carl and frank category (laughs) i mean I, yeah, I think he. I think he was there like last season. Really? Too. Okay. Not not to the same degree, I would say, but like he's definitely like he's just, he's like a side MVP, and like we've been having a lot of convos um, 
off the line about just like we've been going into Fisher Stevens filmography and just the, <laughs> amount, the amount of random stuff he's been in is like insane. You, like Nate, in, you killed me. Wait, if you want to pull for, that one for, he was in he was in Friends. He was in um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, he was even in the Super Mario wow, Brothers. When you told movie. me that. I was like, what the fuck? I had no idea he was in that. Yeah, because we were talking about Joe Spinell and what is it? Ice Cream Man. Yes. You, you were like, once he has something as crazy as this, and I was like, I'll match you with that. He was in the Mario movie. <laughs> Man. That, that's crazy. But no, like, I I thought this episode was very, very, like, insightful. It's such... Mm-hmm. Not a lot happened, per se, but a lot of chess. A lot of a lot of chess was being played. I felt like... Um, Gojo, it definitely the, felt Gojo, like the it definitely felt like the middle episode of agreed. like the season, which I'm pretty sure it was. I do I, I like I always I, I like using this term. I feel like everyone at Gojo was playing chess while the, the, the Roys are playing checkers. They kind of don't know. They're getting into each other's way. I do feel like Shiv is playing everybody. I, I mean I think I think Shiv was crucial in getting Carolina and Jerry mm-hmm. on off the kill list. I, and so I and think Tom. that yeah, well, Tom, well, Tom, Tom, Tom wasn't on it. Correct? No, no, and Hugo was pissed. Yeah, about, yeah. No, was it Hugo or Carl? They were pissed off about the fact that Tom was I not think it was on Carl. it. I think it was Carl because he was the one who previously, like you know, set the stage of why investors might not want Tom, and essentially just roasted the shit out of him there. And I, 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 you guys joked about it in our group chat. The them in robes just chilling outside the sauna was just. Carl and Frank are just phenomenal. Just how I'm trying to be in 50 years. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> but yeah, t- two amazing shows. I can't believe they're ending in just a little bit over a month, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. May tw- May 28th. That's my Barbie versus Oppenheimer. <laughs> can't wait. Uh, I will. Tr- I no way I could watch them live for obvious reasons. Uh, I mm-hmm. just hope that nothing is spoiled by the finale. But yeah, in terms of movies. Uh, you know me. I always run through a gambit of shit throughout the week. Um, <laughs> let me see if I can interest in you. I saw Sisu. Uh, the mm. World War II John Wick is the best way to describe it. <laughs> Not as good as John Wick. I feel like there's, even with John Wick where he has minimal dialogue, I feel like there's more there's story and background to his character. I feel like this guy is just there. He's a gold gold miner and he kills a lot of people. After they mm-hmm. kill his horse specific, specifically. So similar. Yeah. It, it, pretty crazy. Um, I saw Peter Pan and Wendy. I liked it. Middle of the road Disney live action. But not, it's David Lowry. So I, I, I appreciate it. All right, my friend. 4 a.m. screening. Boy. 1988. Vitero Rambaldi. Rage. Furia Primitiva. It's on Shudder. Oh, boy. I'm going a to your letterbox si- now to find the movie. <laughs> a scientist at a Florida university inadvertently creates a rage virus while performing experiments intended to restore dead brain tissue in baboons. That's all you need to know, my friend. Okay, that I, that might be going on the watch list. <laughs> that it, it, it's ridiculous. Um, I've been getting not getting into, but re-getting into a lot of like older '90s action movies. So mm-hmm. I rewatched Sudden Death to catch up the latest rewatchables. Uh, I think I convinced you, which is great to watch it. Um, also saw Raw Deal, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie from 1988. Broken Arrow, Courage Under Fire, and a Catherine Bigelow blind spot, Blue Steel, with Jamie Lee Curtis. Highly, highly recommend it. It may be 
probably after Zero Dark Dirty and maybe Point Break, my favorite Bigelow film. It's really good stuff. Really good stuff. Um, saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Obviously not getting into too much spoiler. I loved it. Um, it's not the greatest comic book ever. Shout out to our boy Skipper. But it is it is very, very, very good. I cried four times. Saw Sleepless in Seattle for the first time this week. Uh, oh. Hmm. Didn't really love it, to be honest. I, I kind of like You've Got Mail a little better. Uh, shout out to our boy Helmer. Went into a Douglas Cirque uh, watch along this week. Excellent stuff. Technicolor. He's. I think he's one of the kings of Technicolor of the era. For for what I saw this week, pretty incredibly looking, beautiful movie. Uh, Flight of the Phoenix saw for the first time. Excellent, excellent. Jimmy Stewart and uh, Marty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's literally the review I'm looking at right now. As you started to bring up, and I was like, yeah, that checks out. Um, and then to get ready for 2001, I went on a Kubrick dive. Uh, I saw Lolita, which is still pretty damn great. Uh, my my LB review pretty much states, if you don't like licorice pizza, I do not recommend Lolita. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely true. But incredible performances across the board. I love it. Uh, yeah, Killer's so. Kiss. Uh, that was a hit. Uh, Kubrick blind spot. It's okay. Hmm. It's okay. I haven't seen that one. Um, is that... Uh... It's, it's one of his first. It's one of his first movies. Yeah, uh, obviously, two thousand one, with which we will get into. I saw Eyes Wide Shut. Welcome to the Five Star Club. Uh, I don't know, man. There's something in- hypnotizing about that movie. The, the, there. The, the, the best New York movie not set in New York. Yeah, it's a good. One. <laughs> I think I. I think I said to you. I think I don't think I've seen a better fake New York. And being from the area, it's like I see it. I, you know, you get even in Scream Six. I appreciate the effort, but I know that's not New York. Here, you can tell. Like, are are they are they in downtown? Are they in Soho? Are they in the village? Like, you can tell. Like, it feels like they're in New York. Right, and you just know it. We're obviously gonna get into a lot of that more, but like, just thinking about like the Kubrick of it all, and like sending his production designers to like measure the distances mm-hmm. between lamp posts and like all of that little nitpicky stuff. That's just incredible man and i always love the tidbit that this movie and we'll probably cover it next year because it turns 25 um the fact that the house where the giant party is at mm-hmm. is the downton abbey ha- mansion is always <laughs> so he's it's always great pull uh and I, I remember like when i first saw this movie a few years ago i was like oh this is the origin it's not really that at all it's one scene which the haunting score plays throughout that mm-hmm. that whole like ceremony before he starts walking through the house. I yeah, I fucking love this movie. It's I wish Tom Cruise would do more stuff like this. The uh, yeah, honestly, one he was of, like, really good. I, I I wouldn't say it's like one of my all time favorite Tom Cruise roles because like he's really good, but I wouldn't say it's like on the tier of like. Born on the Fourth and like Magnolia, Manol- but like in terms of like overall movies, I guess I would say it's probably up there because like he's like really good, and then Nicole Kidman is just Nicole Kidman. Yeah, not She's not great. being up for any Oscars that year. Like I get it. But oh, I get it. I get it. It's yeah, a yeah. T- it's a tough beat. Like in retrospect, because like I'm sure looking back now, it's like the cider house rules and like you know like stuff like that. And I think Kubrick's direction is masterful in this too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I feel like this movie today would be a picture director, actor, actress, screenplay, production design, big, cinematography. Big five and more. Yeah. Uh, and then last thing I want to uh, talk about is uh, 
are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Uh, I remember I was talking about because I've been getting press screening invites for this for weeks, and I didn't take it because I just you know I wasn't really too interested in it. Then the review started coming in, and then I told uh, Jen, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go see this movie. I didn't really know. It was ba- I honestly, I'm not. I don't know too much about Judy Bloom, so I was not very right. familiar with it. And then Jen's like, oh, this is one of my favorite books growing up, mm-hmm. and she's like, you want to see that? And I'm like, yeah, it looks. Now you know, I saw the trailer. The reviews are good. I didn't think I would love this this much. I feel like this movie is the perfect movie for not me because I will let Jen handle that. Show Harley when she's like the perfect age for it. Obviously, she probably will make right. her read the book, but it's such a sweet movie. I absolutely adored it. It's in my top five of the year. Performances are great all around. Kathy Bates will not get any like Oscar love for this. Don't get me wrong, but she is hilarious in this movie. And uh, mm. shout out if you ever see it, Jack, to Mr. Cinnamon. He is our Dion Waiters. Our our boy show my boy shows up for two scenes, has about six threes, <laughs> two rebound no ten rebounds, four assists. Does does his job? Hell yeah. Does his job. My, Wait, my my mom that was actually like, it's funny you she mentioned that like my mom like, it like it, she was like like pretty much that age when the book first came out and Mm. it was like a big subject of like controversy. And so like, she wasn't allowed to like read it, but eventually like her and her siblings did. And so like her and her siblings are going to like take their, are going to take their mom to go see it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So my mom, my mom's been talking about it a lot. So it's been (laughs) on my radar. And when I went yesterday, that's the big, the majority of the crowd were moms and daughters and grandparents. Mm -hmm. It felt like a very nice family movie to watch. And it's, um, you know, it's very, very harmless in terms of like you're not you're not really going in there for intense yeah. stakes or anything like that. But it's a very uh, I love coming of age movies, and this is definitely one of the best in the last few years. Uh, all right, cool. So let's jump into why we are here. Two thousand one, a space odyssey turns fifty five. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Uh, this movie is. We're going to get dive deep into it, but I want to start off with our first viewing experience because I'm sure we both had a very unique journey to both loving this movie that we do now. For me, I saw it freshman year of high school, so 2000, uh, my English class, Mr. Boyce was his name. We did a compare contrast with the book. So he, we did the book first and we saw the movie. And I, looking back at it, I guess we can call this the first artsy fartsy movie I had ever seen because I was 14 years old. I was, you know, I wasn't really watching anything like this before. Um, I remember being incredibly bored. I remember being wondering why no one talked. <laughs> I remember thinking, why is it just music? What is up with the last 25 minutes of this movie? I didn't get it. And it expectedly not to get it. I don't expect a lot of people at that age to really understand this. I didn't see it for years after, maybe like five, six years. And that's when the light kind of turned on and I started kind of appreciating everything that this movie was trying to tell us and all the making of praise that this movie deserves. And as time has gone on, I mean, it's become... Honestly, very, you know, we look at comfort movies. This is a very instant comfort movie because you really don't agreed now because I mean, you always pick up something new, but because there's lack of dialogue, like, for example, like not this year, but in previous years when I've been working from home, I have it in the background and I just like the music is so soothing and calming 
that I can just do work, right. look to my right, and then just still pay attention and not, you know, yeah, it's so... It's like, oh, look at the pretty spaceship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. especially like... the last 25 minutes, it just puts you in a trance of me working <laughs> and just hearing and just seeing him go through that black hole. I'm like, okay, like mm-hmm. this, is, this is good stuff. But yeah, Jack, what about you, first time? I, yeah, pretty much the same. Um, we've talked about... Uh, I've talked about this book on the pod before. I know I mentioned it with The Godfather, but... Back when I was like 13 or so was really like when I was starting to get into like quote unquote film and I rented this book from the library and it kind of just went through like, I don't remember the exact movies, but it was kind of like, you know, like your AFI kind of like it just went in depth on like a handful of movies. And then at the end of each section, it would be like, if you like this, you'll also like bam, 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 bam. And 2001 was like mentioned a lot. So eventually I got around to seeing it. Um, I did indeed first watch 2001 Space Odyssey the way it was intended to be seen on my iPod Touch. <laughs> uh, so obviously it did not resonate with me fully. And on top of that, you know, like everything you said, I was like, where's the dialogue? Like, why? Like, what are these monkeys in the first like 20 minutes? Like, where are the humans? And like all that kind of stuff. Like, I didn't understand what, was talk- what they were talking about. Like, oh, they're on a moon base it's like oh but now they're in some random spaceship but it just like was remained in my conscience just because you know like i was continuing to get more and more into film and every director whose movie i whose movies i was watching referenced 2001 like in some way in like an interview so like it was always like kind of around my mind and it wasn't until i was about 20 or so that i went back and fully began to appreciate it. Like now knowing kind of like more about how movies are made and like how difficult it was um, really back then. And just like not having like that kind of frame that I do now of like, if you go to one of my favorite videos on YouTube is like every best visual effects winner. Mm -hmm. Like it has like a little clip, like the clip that follows 2001 is also set in space, but man, it's like, I don't even, it's, it's like those you versus like the, the guy he tells, she tells you not to worry about me. Like it literally just like uber clear, like Stanley Kubrick, like 4k. And then like obvious green screen, just very, very like bad, but yeah, no, just the movie has really just stood the test of time with me. And I would say it's my favorite sci-fi movie. Alien is higher on my favorite horror movies, but like, I think I weigh that more on the horror side, just because I think that's more of like a horror movie with a sci-fi background, Mm kind of like Blade Runner being like a police movie, essentially with like a sci-fi background and Terminator 2 being an action movie with a sci-fi background. So this is probably like my favorite sci-fi movie. Um, I'd agree with you too. getting to see it in theaters last summer uh, was just like, that maybe the best theater experience of my life. Like it was a packed house, which automatically like for like Kentucky, that made me really happy. Cause I was like, let's go. Everyone's coming out. And it was, I've never been in a theater more quiet. Like I could hear like popcorn hitting the ground. I <laughs> and, s- I was, and I was like closer to the front. So I was just like knowing all the people were just behind me, like dead silent. I was like, this is so surreal, but it was incredible. Yeah. I saw this for the 50th anniversary on IMAX in New York and it very much was the same. It wasn't packed, 
But it was was it at uh was it at the, the Lincoln Square? Square? Yeah, nice, nice. So um, it was wasn't packed, but it did follow what you said. It was uber quiet, like you could not hear anyone like reacting. It was very much like if someone was eating popcorn or chewing, you could hear them chew of how quiet mm-hmm. it was. It, <laughs> it's pretty incredible experience. But yeah, let's get into some of the films. So for anyone listening to this unaware. 2001 A Space Odyssey is a 1968 science fiction film produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick. Academy Award winner Stanley Kubrick, which we're going to get into the only Oscar he won a little bit later. Uh, Screenplay was written by Kubrick and uh, the author of the novel, Arthur C. Clarke, and was inspired by Clarke's 1951 short story, The Sentinel, and other short stories by Clarke. Clarke also published a novelization of the film. I got to say, I'm not a big reader. The fact that this is just based on a short story made by the freshman experience a lot better because it really mm-hmm. just was pretty uh, a small read. The film stars Keir Dulia, Gary Lockwood, William Sylvester, Douglas Rain, and follows astronaut scientists and science and sentinel supercomputer how to Jupiter to investigate an alien monolith. That does not how do you yeah that, that yeah. was my thing like i always look at like the letterbox like descriptions of the movies and like it always just reads weird like they're right about what's ha- what happens but it's like i don't know it's not something like alien you know where you've got like a very clear description of like what happens it's yep. like how do you how do you sub- summarize this movie in like a sentence it's it's so, so weird i i purposely copied that from wiki just because mm-hmm. it doesn't that's not what the movie is at all <laughs> Um, so some production notes after completing Dr. Strangelove in 1964, Kubrick told the publicist from Columbia Pictures that his next project would be about extraterrestrial life and resolved to make the proverbial good science fiction movie. How Kubrick became interested in creating a science fiction film is far from clear, but his biographer John Baxter notes possible inspirations in the late 50s, including British productions featuring dramas on satellites and aliens modifying early humans. MGM's big budget cinemascope production, Forbidden Planet. Shout out to Forbidden Planet, and anyone that doesn't know it needs to get on that ASAP because that movie is a gorgeous movie to look at, along with uh, the slick cinematography from... Godzilla and Warning from Space inspired him to go this route. Kubrick obtained financing and distribution from MGM with the selling point that the film could be marketed in their ultra widescreen cinema drama format. I gotta say, you mentioned how great this movie looks. The fact that I'm gonna throw shade at like Ant Man, uh, Quantumania, that how fake that looks as opposed to how amazingly realistic everything here looks, mm-hmm. uh, just shows like how great the production of this movie was. Uh, Kubrick's decision to avoid fanciful portrayals of space found in standard popular science fiction films at the time led him to seek more realistic and accurate depictions of space travel. Illustrators such as Chelsea Bonestell, Roy Carnan, and Richard McKenna were hired to produce concept drawing sketches and paintings of the space technology seen in film. Two educational films, the National Board of Canada's 1960 animated short doc, Universe, and the 1964 World's Fair film, to the Moon and Beyond were major influences to the film. The film is noted for its scientifically accurate depiction of spaceflight, pioneering special effects, and ambiguous imagery. Kubrick avoided conventional cinematic and narrative techniques. Dialogue is used sparingly, and there is a long sequence of company only by music. At this point, I think long sequences, I think it's the first 25, then the last 25, then a spot in the middle. It's It's pretty damn incredible um 
I wasn't going to include this originally, but I thought it'd be a fun little thing to dissect real quick before we get into the categories. 2001 A Space Odyssey, 10 major differences between the book and movie. This is a Screen Rant article from 2022. Have you ever checked that out? I have not, no. I have... I like browse through the book. I like know some of the base differences about the book and I know it's a bit more in depth, but I mean like we kind of know like, you know, Stanley Kubrick doesn't like to make things coincide completely. Mm-hmm. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure when I was doing my reading, like Kubrick intentionally made some choices to like differentiate his movie from the book and mm-hmm. like seeing how he would later go on and adapt the shining. And he obviously, you know, wasn't the most here. faithful to that source text uh, on brand for Kubrick. So one of the first things Verbal explained, the head ape even has a name uh, in the book Moonwatcher. Moonwatcher's POV is shown, giving the reader more information about the character as well as the colony. Uh, hypnotized by the vibrating monolith, Moonwatcher ties the first knot ever with a blade of grass and tools are developed that are used to hunt and eventually kill a rival. Uh, uh, Clark describes that the apes' minds are being studied, probed, and controlled by the monolith, as opposed to Kubrick, where we get no dialogue. Can you can you imagine the uh, the Zuth's folk Zarathustra? No, I I think the bones with Moonwatcher tying a knot. Uh, The monolith looks different in the movie as opposed to the book. (laughs) I I personally love the look of the monolith here in the book it's described as a transparent crystal um the monolith appearance is also smaller as the ratio described would be amount to thick wide and squat structure i love the look of the monolith it's much more impactful here uh in the book the purpose of the monolith is actually more defined than in the movie i personally like the fact that it leaves us to interpretation as to what it is uh, the book does not jump from the prehistoric era to the 21st century, which that would remove one of my favorite editing transitions of the era. So I'm glad that that did not happen. Destination Planet is also different from the book and movie. Uh, Pol- Poole and Bowman's response to Hal's mistake also differs from book to movie. And in the book Hal's failure is explained in the novel as well and then finally the ending of the book is also different from the movie uh, I'll get into that a little later but it does involve another monolith as well so that should be that that's fun to know uh Maestro's Corner let's get into the score of the film I know leave your no leave your Maurice Jar comment for later All that. Well, we, well, I was gonna say how much, that, that, how much can we really talk about? Because what the the first genius call of, I mean, he's had so many good, but Kubrick initially commissioned Alex North to write the score for a movie, a completely original score, might I add. But he retracted that decision and then fell back on all these pieces, which one of the unanswerable questions because like Alex North I'm pretty sure he did some arrangements for Clockwork Orange um and he's a really really like good composer so I'm sure he definitely would have like done well but yeah I'm with just you. the case That's of what much, we got is so good uh, the I notes that I had were in. the movie the movie score was one of the most genius things Kubrick did for this movie because 
the numerous works of classical music included on this just in, in, in exploded the, the score to one of the most influential pieces of music ever used in film, the way it was used in the movie. So we have composers Richard Strauss. And for, let me know if I missed anyone. So I have Richard Strauss, John Strauss II, Aram Kachatorian, and Gor- Gorgi Leggetti as some of the composers that were, whose music was used. Did I miss anybody? I'm pretty sure that's all of them because Ligarty actually had, I think, three pieces used. He had, um, mm-hmm. he wrote the Atmospheres piece, which is like what opens the movie and is like the second part of that space section. Um, then he also did, he's also responsible for the Requiem, which is that piece when mm-hmm. uh, the moon, which when Moon Watcher sees the, uh, the monolith when they find it on the moon and when they see it, uh, there. And then he also wrote, the uh the luke's eterna which is when they go on the moon in like the spaceship it's just like only yes yes one of the sure. shorter songs that they use but so the movie was released more on, on that later premiered on really april 2nd piece, 1968 right with a united states world premiere uh april 3rd 1968 and a uk premiere on may 15 1968 the budget was 10.5 million I was surprised to see that this movie grossed $146 million. Uh, yeah. Fun. Wow. The, imagine the that box funny girl being year, the number one grossing movie of the year. Um, and I think, I think Oliver was I, like number three or something. I looked at so, some of yeah, the, you know yeah, how those some are the movies big are shitted upon when it's first released and then receive a claim later i looked at some of the uh interpretive opinions critics would form after the film's release uh uh one of the critics stated many people sent letters to kubrick to tell him about their responses to 2001 most of them regarding the film in particular the ending as an optimistic statement about humanity which is seen to be born and reborn. The film's reviewers and acad- academic critics, by contrast, have tended to understand the film as a pessimistic account of human nature and humanity's future. Uh, the most extreme of these interpretations state that the f- uh, the fetus floating above the earth will destroy it. Some of the critics' catal- catalytic interpretations were informed by Kubrick prior to direction of the Cold War Dr. Strangelove, immediately before 2001, which resulted in dark speculation about the nuclear weapons orbiting the Earth in 2001. These interpretations were challenged by Clark, who said many readers have interpreted the last paragraph of the book uh, to mean that he- the fetus destroyed the Earth, perhaps the purpose of creating new heaven. This idea never occurred to me. Um, in terms of just thoughts on the themes of the movie are we in agreement i hope we're not in agreement actually just because of how wide theories you can come up with this do you i think the movie talks a lot about evolution and how we evolve as a species yeah no i'm i'm right there with you i've always been more of the belief that the ending is more kind of inspiring. Although those interpretations I think are totally valid because the whole cynicism argument behind Dr. Strange love, I definitely think that's there. Um, 
And so I could totally see why people might think that would tie over here. But in this case, for me, at least, I think it's leaves kind of more of like a hopeful feeling at the end of it. And that like, it's like the next step. Although, like you said, I mean, there's so many ways you can interpret oh, yeah, that. Like, yeah. And I still don't even have... I will like, never I tell anyone to say I have a full grasp of the movie, on, so I can't be like, this. no, that's not uh, right. Awards rise. We get to the trophy case. I'm going to save Oscar. I'm going to yeah, save the Oscars the for last. I'm going to run through some of, uh, some of oh, these. Boy. So, in 1969, the U.S. Department of State Committee chose 2001 as the American entry on the, ni- the 6th. Mos- sixth annual Moscow International Film Festival. Cool. 2001 was ranked as the 15th greatest film on AFI's 2007 100, 100 Years, 100 Movies. Number 22 in 1998. So it's continually go up. And I think if we ever do this again, it'll probably be in the top 10. Yeah. Uh, was number 40 on its years, 100 uh, Years, 100 10. Thrills list. Yeah, definitely. Was included on its 100 Years, 100 Quotes with number 78, Open the Pod Bay Doors, Hal. And Hal 9000 was a number 13 villain in 100 Years. I don't know about villain. But, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh,. No, he he's definitely up there. is. I mean, come he on. Def- like in, in terms in terms of opposition, he's not. He's up there. He's not. not that um, not, yeah. Not that I say Bowman should be in the heroes. Also number forty-seven but. on <laughs> AFI's hundred years, hundred cheers, and the number. That's that's what that's what I think. Yeah, that was the other there? reason I kind of was like, I think it's a happy ending. Like, how many cheer worthy moments? And then it was really ranked as AFI's yeah, so was, top that's why I think the number one like a science fiction also. in their top ten uh, science fiction films of all time. Uh, now we get to actual awards of that year. It was tenth place in MBR's top ten films of the year. Uh, sure, uh, the Hugo Awards best dramatic presentation it won. Laloro Awards best roadshow. Uh, it at the. BAFTA was nominated for Picture or Best Film, Art Direction, Cinematography, Soundtrack. It won Soundtrack, Cinematography, Art Direction, did not win Picture. And then we get to the Oscars. Nom- yes. Real quick, real quick, can I just say it was it, it won the BAFTA for <laughs> Cinematography. Well, it wasn't even up for it there, which is what's weird at the Oscars. For which I that was the one thing that like doing my notes like I learned that and I was like wait what because it like, is I interesting do, because I it was nominated else, for four I saw that and and I if was you like, give it the picture insane. nom and the cinematography nom I feel like I would be less harsh than I am with the Oscars here because in best picture we have Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. Rachel Rachel the Lion in Winter Funny Girl and the winner Oliver. Oh, interesting. It's it, it was direct. It was in director. I did not. Wikipedia mm. did not add that. So cool. At least it was nominated. He was nominated for director, with Franco Zeffirelli for Romeo and Juliet, Anthony Harvey yeah. for Lion of yeah. Winter, Gilo Pontecorvo for The Battle of Algiers, and Cal yeah, Reed who good. won for Oliver. I don't like Oliver. <laughs> So, yes. so Rachel, Rachel, and Funny Girl were the ones that got into picture but missed director. 
and Al and Algiers there too. Oh, yeah, interesting. Very, so two, very mid two, two on Oliver. I don't think it's. The picture. That's I really think it was just the era of you. Ha- if it's a musical and it's four hours, let's give it best picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the front half of that was awesome. You know, when we had winners like West Side Story and The Sound of Music, and even My Fair Lady, but. Tail like off. Mary Poppins, too, yeah, for but sure. By this point, uh, that, like, but yeah, that was definitely where it started. Let's to, move on to, to what's aged the best, what's aged the worst. Should we do what's aged the worst first, since there's not much, or do you want to do what's aged the best? All right. Yeah, let's just do what's let's do what's aged the best. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't I have think, think you may laugh at mine too because I have like two things on my list, so it should be a fun discussion. At, All right, so what do you got for what's aged the best? okay uh well you got some obvious ones you know um the v- the vfx i truly think that it is a contender for the best looking movie ever made and it's 55 years old and if they don't look bad now i don't think they ever will i mean movies that were made in the 2000s you know have already looked like they're a product of their time but this doesn't look like that whatsoever so that's definitely the one thing that I think will be immortal. Uh, the opening, I mean, that's just been referenced in everything from like The Simpsons to Barbie. And I, that's something else that I don't think is going to stop. Uh, the conversation around this movie, just kind of how it constantly has had like a talking presence in like cinema mm-hmm. culture and is always being discussed, I think is something that will also continue into the future. Um. The Frank rescue scene, honestly, I'm a, I, I, that was the one, that was one of the big things in the theater that I watched and like, I'd been a fan of it prior, but for some reason when I watched it in theaters, mm-hmm. I was just really enamored by, um, Keir DeLay's face acting, just like him, just like looking out the window. I don't know why, but I was like, wow, he's really good at just like looking like busy and like in the zone. Um, and then we can talk about some of the. Uh, we can talk about some yes, of the technological. Yes. FaceTime. Like what's aged the best? I mean, they had video calling in there. Uh, oh, I'm gonna save your conversation on the branding. I have that for. Like I have that coming up. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, and then this one you can say, uh, you can say for what's aged the best, and in some yeah. ways maybe what's aged the worst. Just the continuing growth of presence of ai in our um, day-to-day lives which and then another thing that was just i forgot to mention this earlier uh when i mm. when i watched when i like really got into the movie that was also like when the covid pandemic was happening so when i hear all the talk about like oh there's like We've a been there done that <laughs> epidemic on plagueis or whatever it was it was just like <laughs> <laughs> um for me i yeah, I, I like, guess oh, I. First time you guys. I agree with everything you said. So, uh, you mentioned VFX. The editing of this movie is splendid. I the transition when we get from the ape era to the transition to space. I love that transition. Right. It's not Lawrence of Arabia level mastery, but it's insanely great transition. I I think that's to- I think that's top two. I I, th- I I was thinking about that too, like those two cuts, and it's like I mean I wouldn't even say the match cut in Lawrence is my favorite in the movie. Uh, but, the opening sequence, I mean, you just like the I think creativity it's one of the behind best both introduction 
to, tie, to the title cards ever. As soon as the Stanley Kubrick production hits, the music the, the music goes along with it, and it's just perfection. Um, the music used at the beginning, the opening, the entire first 25 mm-hmm. minutes, especially with its use in the upcoming Barbie trailer. Um, yes. <laughs> Do we think that's gonna be how the first twenty five minutes of Barbie opens? Just girls, just girls playing with. I have a feeling like that's exactly where like we are going. Fifteen minutes, and then they find a, one of them wakes up and finds a Barbie. I'd, I I, I wouldn't say twenty five minutes. Twenty five like minutes of an hour think, and like forty minutes. Let's go. Twenty five minutes of that. Um, I mentioned the editing VFX. You you touched on uh, faking the moon landing. Man, there's always that guy, like, if there's any other, like, college listeners out there, I'm sure they know, but, like, there's a guy that comes on my campus every now and then, and he's just, like, starts talking about, like, how the moon landing was fake, I, and I swear, like, every time I pass him, like, something love, comes up about 2001, at, like, conspiracy and I'm always theories. just going to be like, some I believe, some I don't, movie. some are just ridiculous. <laughs> this moon landing one, the fact that it's my favorite part, mm-hmm. I've, have you ever seen the Stanley Kubrick documentary of Room 237 about The Shining? It's yeah. So room two thirty seven is one of my favorite documentaries I've seen in the last ten years because it touches on all theories and themes of the movie. One of them being that Kubrick is telling his audience that he faked the moon landing, starting with the fact that Danny's wearing an Apollo eleven sweatshirt. So there's a lot of like imagery there in the movie. It's very interesting stuff. Right. Um, The term art house cinema did it begin with two thousand one Space Odyssey? Because I hate Tree of Life. I think Tree of Life is a poor man's 2001. I, I mean, I, I mean, uh, I mean, Touché. that's kind of hard Touché. to like fully say because like you had like the entire like international film scene prior. I mean, like you had like not like the exact same kind of stuff. Well, mm, I mean, like Stalker came after Solaris came after. But I, he, he, there's definitely like some stuff. I mean, like it's not like yeah, the same kind of stuff. I guess like, artsy that, fartsy, like, you know, like art house filmmaking, I mean, yeah, stuff like Breathless before. But in, in terms of like a this... Ameri- like American art house, I definitely think this was like a big change in the direction. But something else I kind of just forgot to mention. Um, okay, I mean this kind um... of. Something about the inspiration that I feel Star Wars has from this movie. If you pay attention to the sequence where, and I remember noticing it a couple of years ago when I was rewatching this, the sequence where the uh, the spaceships are landing uh, in the space station, it very uh, very very similar to when they land in the Star Destroyer, like with the red, yeah, in New Hope. Um, Also, sci-fi films have aged well. Reading mm. lip sequence has aged one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, and finally, you will not get this, but listeners may, especially wrestling fans. Ric Flair has aged really well. And when you get a chance, just look up Ric Flair entrance music and you will understand what I made. Um, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I, I check check who, it I out. I'll is, I'll, I'll throw like it to you in chat. Backstory uh, after the pod. Here, so All right, that, what's even worse? I have two things absurd. here. Uh, have we evolved in a negative way from this movie? 
evolution as a whole, we become lazier as a as as a species. That's a more insightful conversation to have, but it's like if you really think about the way this is like yeah, a TikTok yeah, generation, I mean, no one really has patience for anything. Have we evolved? Has our evolution actually gone backwards instead of forward? It, it, it's really a, it's so funny you mentioned that because you are you frequently refer back to your. Um, take that Wally is essentially like if Kubrick made an animated movie and kind of looking at how like evolution is in that movie and just like how overly dependent the humans become on AI and technology. I mean, that's definitely something that that's like a realistic tie over. And like at this point, I mean, there are like, yeah, I mean like so much, at least like my generation, like so much of our stuff is like online. So like, there is like sure. at least some sort of and dependency, now, and like now the fun us, part, like all right. for the brain in like some way, shape, or form. So, so definitely right. right. I, I wrote a list down. RCA Whirlpool, the maker of the zero gravity food preparation unit on the moon shuttle, had become Whirlpool. The Bell system had been divested, and long distance <laughs> service became AT and T. Pan Am ceased operations as an international air carrier. In fact, the Whirlpool change had already happened before the movie actually released. The only visible brand that actually still exists today is Hilton in the entire movie. Wasn't what was the Our, bell? Uh, like be- the, the the video that phone. was bell that I, I, turned into AT and T. I couldn't remember what brand that was, but I'm pretty yeah. sure that was branded. Kind of. That's yeah, right. it, okay, it's okay. pretty so insane. I think, at least in New Jersey and New York, if Howard Johnson exists, <laughs> it's not in this area. And if there's not a Howard Johnson, yeah. So I don't even know the last time I saw a Howard Johnson. So outside yeah, of like it, I, the branding used in the movie, I don't. I think this is pretty perfect. What do you got? I I just have one thing. Um, but I, this kind of goes more into like, this would be more of like the picking nits section, you know, and like kind of just like a gripe with the story. And this is like the one thing that always pisses me off when I see it happen. Why the fuck do they ask Hal to turn the pod back around? before they talk like that's just such an unnecessary step Guilty. and it leads to how being able to read their lips for being able to just see right in the window that's always the one maybe. thing that like i always maybe it's always just a guilty conscience like, literally just screwed yourself and and it like i knew like when i <laughs> they're like we need to include you somehow make sure that you're good but like yeah i uh that was always the one thing i was like I, man i don't like, disagree but i also that. think you know <laughs> We'll get in. Howls, howls. It, it, it gets it gets the it gets the better move. It, it gives us the better movie. But in terms of like, if you were already sus about your, computer, I guess I agree there. You know, this should I would be, maybe not do that. I don't even know if we have anyone different when we get when we, we're oh, jumping into the categories now. Where we jump into Joe Spinell, that guy award. I gotta go with my boys Kier Dulea and Gary Lockwood as Bowman and Frank Pohl. <laughs> I yeah yeah I've I've got Kier Dulea. I mean he was in Black Christmas I know. Um, 
but like this by far is like he he's always going to be Bowman for me. Like I'm pretty sure we did a pot, we did a league match once, and, and he was a three pointer. And the picture we used was literally like a picture of him in 2001. Yeah. So it's like yeah, if 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 you if you, I actually would have because I had the poster in my room for a long time, so I recognized the name. Yeah, but, I'm with you. So yeah, I, I mean, kind of like, cheated with this one. Al Martino missed Cast Award. I used the same it, two guys. But, which leads into a conversation of who we would cast in that role in the 60s. They they wouldn't. I don't think Cooper could have afforded him at the time, or maybe it would have been too distracting. But Paul Newman and fill in the blank. Like Paul Newman as David and as Bowman. And then, <laughs> I don't even know. Do we get Redford and we get a reunion and we do. Oh shit! I got well, I got it wrong. Yeah. So I would have thought it was Cassidy I thought it was sixty seven. Okay, yeah. So that, that, that would, would be their first. So that would be their first thing film together. <laughs> I see. Like they're yeah, the they're incredible actors, but I I just think like the like I don't know like the unpopular like the. Yeah, just like they're kind of just normal guys, like just like astronauts, and like the rest of the movie doesn't have like really anybody that's like big stars. So I can't imagine that being the case. Um, not to oh, mention, one day, just... how many American actors was he like casting at that point? Because he's still like, I was gonna say he because he didn't really like was Nick Riot was Riot O'Neill. I'm trying to think of like the big it American was, actors who like he cast like yeah I don't think it was early so, on because like it was still a lot of like the all Shining this that was really got super like, duper based. stars in his, like, in his American actors super duper stars so yeah I guess you're right I mean I do think it works so yeah with a minimalistic approach to the actors and minimalistic dialogue I think emphasis is more put on the production aspect of it uh do you have anyone here mm-hmm Uh, I I didn't really just because I didn't know who to put in that wanted just like feel weird, like like uh, kind of just go back to that. Like I feel like anybody who we'd pitch would just like kind of just like I don't know make the movie more about like that because like I never watched the movie and I'm like oh this is like Bowman's movie even though like yeah, we yeah, follow him through like a lot of it, like it's just kind of like everything there. So, but I but I don't know. It's it's tough. I'm not sure who who I would like put in that like role because we're like just shy of getting like all. I, the, I didn't mention Pacino like, the for young, a reason, all the but, young you actors know. who were like right in that age group there. But it wasn't even it wasn't even our yeah it wasn't even our Pacino <laughs> yet. It was, it well, was, well, let's let's see. It was at 68. He he was still talking. Like yeah, I was gonna his. say he was literally so he, he, he was, was like too quiet. <laughs> Like now, it'd be like, how? Open the pod bay doors. doors how? <laughs> <laughs> um, Mer- I, you can the cook now. Hard music moment. You can cook. <laughs> All right, I, I I I couldn't I couldn't spare anything. I, I had to throw like every fucking piece in there. So, thus spoke Zarathustra, the opening piece and the closing piece. Just, I mean, 
one of the most iconic pieces of music. Not even taking mm-hmm. the movie into consideration, but I mean, the, the movie is probably a huge piece of why it is so famous. Um, the Blue Danube, obviously. I mean, just kind of the whole gentleness of it all as you're just kind of floating in space with the uh, all the different ships. It almost makes it kind of feel like a dance, which just really, really is incredible. Uh, Luke Saterna, as they go to the moon and find the, uh, the monolith. Um, Requiem, which is what plays when they find the monolith, as well as when the monkeys see it earlier and when Dave goes into the Stargate. I mean, just pure voices, pretty much, and it's so surreal. Uh, and, th- and then the last two, Atmospheres, which we talked about, like the opening as well as the second part of that Stargate sequence. And then uh, Guyane's Adagio, which plays as we are introduced to the, to the Discovery, and Frank is doing his running through the, uh, the, cir- like, through the circular uh, spaceship area. And yeah, I mean, every, every piece in this movie, just they just give it so much time for it to just sit there and really create the mood and... As for which one I like the most, so I used to think because you it, it, it's tough. What named do you these think? pieces better than I could ever. The opening was always my favorite, but then the transition when we first go into space has kind of surpassed it. Those are my top two. Yeah, those are my top two. I just felt like the blue, the, the, the blue day. I guess because yeah, it's more. Yeah. I feel like. The opening is more grandiose, and then we, when we transition into space, is a more hypnotic feel, soothing, that I've right. kind of leaned towards that one. They're both incredible, but I think those are my top two. Yeah, I I think I, I'm right with you there. I think um, the blue the blue Danube is just incredible, both just as a piece of music and how it's used here. Um, and the uh, Requiem, I mean, that's just like some of the most like atmospheric setting music I've ever heard, especially like when the Stargate scene begins, because like that's kind of like it kind of like restarts in a way. But like it's still like there's one moment that I can still like listen to the piece and like yeah, know the moment like when there. that first stream of color appears. And I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. Um and then the Luke's Eterno for the same reason, like just unreal, uh, like atmosphere setting and the vocals are just so haunting and see- seeing it in theaters really was nice. what emphasized like, um, a lot of the deadlift shrimp, really six man of the film, best supporting player. I, I think we'll, this is, this was a tough one. Cause like, <laughs> there's only like what? three four really significant characters who have like multiple scenes really You've got i went with douglas rain as how how i think as great as this movie is and we know it's we've praised it this whole episode i don't think the movie fully reaches its master classic goat status without how as just a character as a whole so I, I'm going there. 
Right. Uh, yeah, uh, he's definitely... I, I would say him too. Okay. Although, honorable mention yeah. to Daniel Richter for playing Moonwatcher, the lead ape. Uh, just like... And no, no, no. Learning about his mime background and him essentially choreographing the ape movements mm-hmm. for his like troop of mimes who played the other the other apes. I was just like, man. Apparently, apparently, I read some places that like. Wait, did they really think they Oscar were Oscar voters? Didn't know Wait, that did those really were think... people in monkey suits, <laughs> so they didn't push it for co- so they didn't push it for costumes, which like. I, I, I don't blame them. Like, That's pretty. I've seen a lot of movies with people in animal suits. This is up there, like, by far. <laughs> I can't think of any. I yeah, think of I will say the whole. Um, in terms of, like, humans acting in creatures. The whole costuming it's, it's of crazy. the apes in here. I understand there are two different types of thematic, you know, genres. But I do feel this these look much better than apes does. Yeah. Uh, Becky O'Shea, Icebox MVP of the film. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's Stanley absolutely. Kubrick and no one else. <laughs> then you. <laughs> yeah, D- Douglas Trumbull, I guess, is in second for his v- for his VFX work. Um, we, I don't think we really talked about that. Um, just kind of the fact that I. I've got some issues with Kubrick being the sole recipient of the best visual effects Oscar because knowing Douglas Trumbull and like how much of an impact he put on other movies, I think it's kind of weird that Kubrick was the sole recipient for best VFX and he didn't get a trophy too, even though I'm sure he put in a lot of work as well. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, Kubrick was like, you know, obviously such the meticulous guy that he was. He was in yeah, so many aspects of the film's creation. So I'm sure he I, I, I'm pretty sure I read that he like did a lot of his work. Yeah, on, like, I, the Queen Elizabeth or like some ocean I mean, liner. And co was I, going from I guess England the reason I was I mean, just had an editing room. It's like a double edged sword here. I mean, Kubrick would still get his Oscar either way. So I can't really can't really complain. And so I, I do see your point there. Uh, peaks and yeah, valet. Yeah. Uh, so is this the peak for outer space? <laughs> well, scientifically speaking, apparently so. Seeing how like he brought in like NASA experts and all of that to like really ensure hey and if you read the moon landing, of, it really like, is the, the depiction of space, space and all of the technology. Um, I mean, is this the peak for apes in film? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I will say it's the peak for actual sized apes. Yes, and we will because if we do want that. to talk about apes uh, as a whole, there's is a this the peak king for talking computers? Into consideration. <laughs> yeah, I would agree so too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, 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 what are the, what are the second the Star Wars? None say? of they're all droids for the most part, so none of them are real, actually computers. Uh. I can't think of one off the top. Do you have anyone? 
one that comes to mind is Karen from SpongeBob, Plankton's wife. So that <laughs> is this to so be, for Stanley Kubrick? Place. I say that's no. A good top, that's a good top two. <laughs> I think his seventies run into the eighties. It's just he made films so sporadically. So I guess you're right. I think this could be it. Well. Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's the hard part. Like, yeah, if it's not yeah, that's a good 68, point. Sixty-eight, then like, what is it? Sixty-four? Is it seventy-one? And then like seventy, and and then from there, yeah. I mean, after yeah, after this, he averaged like two movies a decade. Yeah, I think, and I then th- he only made one movie in the nineties, and it was at the very end of the decade. So I, it, it's it's tough, but like, I think this is probably where. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I might agree. have been where like, I think, he got the I think most I'm gonna of say his yes, control, then. and um, he like, and made the most of it. Two I would more. Say. Is this the peak for uh, reading lips? Yeah, I, I maybe because I think the uh, I think the silence of him reading the lips going into the intermission. It's just such an oh shit kind of moment. Probably one of my favorite like oh shit moments in like any movie ever. Um, and that again, that was just one of the things that like I definitely did not like realize when I first watched the movie, like at thirteen. But like when and I then actually for Valley, did go before back I get to you for your Peaks and Valley, like, absolutely sci-fi. Like a brick. Sci-fi is a genre. Yeah, um, I, I I mean, I can just kind of build off on one of mine here. I mean, this kind of serves as like, I'm trying to think. I have this written down earlier, but I'm, I feel like 2001 is like, at this point in time, I think it is the midpoint for cinema. Because I think everything that came afterwards, like in terms of like the big yeah. directors all in some way, shape, or form took something out of this movie. And I, I, I'd i say that, I mean, this... I mean, 68, like, kind of was the decade where, like... It, I mean, this whole kind of, like, yeah. time frame, I think, was really where, like, all the changes came. I mean, you had, like, the dissolution of the Hayes Code the year prior, so you had The Graduate and all that kind of stuff. And then technology just took such a huge leap with this movie. And then it, like served as such an inspiration for, you know, Spielberg, Lucas, Ridley Scott, Christopher Nolan, James Cameron, and all those people that come in the decades since. I think it's just such a... I, I think this yeah, is just I, like I, the midpoint. You couldn't have put it any better. Like I mean, I couldn't have put it any better. kind of changed going forward. Yeah, I I concur. Do you have so any it, other peaks? So it's a, it's a peak and a valley. It's a peak and a valley, I think, in some ways. Um... I did have humans acting in creature suits. The one big, um, I think it. I the think one it's big alien. question mark here is alien, because that was a guy inside of a suit. It, it, it's it's tough because I think the I think the apes have more to do because a, alien is much more like restricted, but like just kind of like the movements, especially with like when they first see the. Um, Especially when they first see the when they first see I think like the, the model. I think the re- the only counter I give you is going up to it at first for Xenos um, 
or for these, you know, is the fact that yes, the apes are very important, and I think they're impeccable. But if that Zeno and that per- physical performance does not work, then the that whole movie absolutely falls apart. Like there's nothing in that. Even though he spends most of his time in the sh- in the back in the in the shadows. I was going to say, yeah, yeah that's that, that, true. That's, that's true. Right. But like the other thing kind of there is like, it also takes like the jaws approach where like, if we saw more, if we saw more of the shark at jaws, I think, you know, probably would not be as much of the classic as it was today and would not be as scary. I would say. And it's like, what we don't see is like, what's scary. Cause like, I know some people, uh, yeah. they, they talked about that on the rewatchables. There were a couple of moments where like, you could see kind of like the alien in full, like, for like a longer amount of time, and it's kind of just like, eh. yeah, because yeah, I think like by the time we got to aliens, when like we up actually see the like queen really, in full, really effective. Um, you know, full view, it's a much a lot of advances have been made technologically mm-hmm. and cost, yeah. So, definitely. <laughs> um, and, and then the last peak I had, um, this one's actually much more of a conversation but he's certainly in the conversation. Is this the peak for voice acting? Oh, that's a good question. I think Douglas Rain is up there. I already have a lot of, I already just have a whole bunch in my head that a lot of people could say Andy Serkis in Lords of the Rings is the peak. His voice work as Caesar in the Apes Mm -hmm. trilogy. I think this is one... Where, where, where does where, where does where does the difference go between motion capture and I like guess that's a good voice point acting? Because like Douglas Rain had like just the voice to like do, but I feel like Circus had a and bit more easy because you like he could communicate like they could use I mean, like his mouth to like communicate. It's at least like, top five and use that stuff. Yeah, it, it, it you can't have that conversation and not bring up Douglas Rain. I think it's so. Just the hold and like exactly how you would expect it to sound, but like it's weird because like there, there there's like it, there's not supposed to be emotion there, but like from when, time to time you can kind of somewhat pick it up there, and it's just like oof, like that's that that that's one of the big questions about the movie, which I think we might talk about a bit when we go into like fun facts, the whole kind of extent at which Hal is sentient, and like to what extent he actually like feels things because like he says at the end of at the end of like one of the last things he says is like i'm afraid which like that's always been like a thing that i'm always like that's yeah like, really which chilling, makes me just, like, feel bad for how and when you, realize like, that sit and think about it listen man I, I, the guy the the, the, the computers <laughs> he, he's no He's no Murray. He's no Murray he, Vaughn. I'll, I'll go more in, in line with your Murray Vaughn. How, but how's <laughs> but but how how I don't know. It, it, it'd be more like if like uh, he, he's like a grunt worker almost. Like he's not the boss. And it's just like I, I, he's I always feel bad sending his like, boss out into space and, and like, killing yeah, him. Yeah, man, I'm afraid too. <laughs> I'd be afraid if these two bullies were picking on me and killing on me. But 
But it, it is it is funny when he tries <laughs> to like mom it though when he's like, I know I've made some decisions that are very upset. Oh, we didn't talk I, about it, but what I did you think, think of that him killing? We put this uh, behind us. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot his name. Yeah, yeah. Frank. Yeah, man, that's that scene is like that's one of the that's like one of the two moments that like the more I watch the movie, like the more chills I get from it. It's like that and that when when the apes come back in the beginning, uh, the second time against the other tribe and Moonwatcher standing on his legs like that's the that those are the two moments that I'm always just like, oh, shit, man. Um but no, just like the slow turnaround of the pod and like the stick out of the arms and then like the rapid just kind of static zoom in on like Hal's eye then cut with like Frank just flying off into space. It's always just like what a that, that I, I saw that in theaters and there were like there had to have been some people like who had it, not it seen did it did the job because there were some uh, all right cool so let's finish up with uh it was like nice 2001 <laughs> facts i've compiled 2001 facts about 2001 a space odyssey i'm just i'm totally kidding totally kidding um uh, oh boy no this should definitely <laughs> this part would not take two hours but there's some interesting stuff here um so number one stanley cooper calculated that it would take one person 13 years to hand draw and paint all the mats needed to insert the assorted spacecraft into the starry background kubrick hired 12 other people and did the job in one year at the this 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 shows the disconnect with hot with actors of the era and i love this guy rock hudson's my guy but at the premiere you you've seen this one before at the at <laughs> at the premiere screening oh yeah this is a classic fun fact this yeah this for this movie to me is like the, the at the premiere Vigo screening 241 people like i'm always distracted including rock hudson who said will someone tell me what the hell this is about <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke once said, if you understand 2001 completely, we failed. We wanted to raise far more questions than we answered. Clarke later expressed some concern that the film was too hard to follow and explained things more fully in the novelization and subsequent sequels. Gotta love actors from the 50s. Like, just like, these are definitely not the movies we used to make in the 50s. So... I get it. I totally get it. It's just really funny to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, oh, oh yeah, like it, it made it made me feel a lot better being like, I mean, I first saw it. It took me like seven years to to like, kind of understand it even. So like, hearing people like back then who were like. Decades and decades older sure. than me. According like, to Arthur like, right, C. It's, it's Kubrick me. wanted to get an insurance policy so from that's good. of London to protect himself against losses in the event that extraterrestrial intelligence were discovered before the movie was released. Lloyd refused. <laughs> Lloyd refused. <laughs> um, Carl Sagan commented, in the mid-1960s, there was no search being performed for extraterrestrial intelligence and the chances of accidentally stumbling across a uh, artificial intelligence, extraterrestrial intelligence, I apologize, in a few years period was extremely small. Lawyers of London missed a good bet. 
Number four, there's no dialogue in the first 25 minutes, which we've discussed, uh, nor in the last 23 minutes. With these two lengthy sections uh, and shorter uh, and other short ones, can you guess how much of the film's two hours and 20 minute runtime is without dialogue? Well, um, let me do the math here because I know how much has dialogue. Um, that would be 80, like eighty-eight minutes, like a, a little under two hours. So can we just say like this is one of the best silent yeah. films ever? Yeah, jeez. <laughs> I know it's like like forty minutes of yeah, borderline. I mean, had it won Best Picture, be like yeah. So two and a half movies won. Two Would this be your top ten? One best if picture it won, wings like, the artist and half of two thousand and one. Okay, all right. It, it, it would be like top three, honestly. It, God, Godfather, Godfather two. Uh, I think it'd be and, my, or top four, and then Lawrence, and then Godfather two thousand one would probably two. be there. Yeah. Um, the only Oscar won by Stanley Kubrick. Disgrace. Mm-hmm. I always look back when people bitch every Oscar season about fill in the blank director that doesn't have an Oscar and we live in a world where Kubrick doesn't have an, a directing Oscar or a screenplay Oscar and Hitchcock has zero Oscars. Like, chill out, man. Chill out. Um, an early draft had narration. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Yeah, I'm glad that didn't go through. It's like one of only like three Kubrick movies to like not have any narration whatsoever. I think this, The Shining and Eyes Wide Shut are the only three that like don't have kind of like any whatsoever because the others have like at least like a little bit. I, even I like Doctor agree. Strange um, has that kind of this opening the theory about the, the weapon of it all. The fact that some what? theorize that the movie is not just about evolution of humanity, but the evolution of weapons, because uh, there is a commonly believed theory that the jump cut from the bone being tossed in air is a transition from the, uh, the first weapon to the biggest weapon of a nuclear device. That's just an interesting, uh, just an interesting thought. That that one I that one I definitely agree with. Yeah, I or just like or mm-hmm. maybe not, not the idea of the movie. That's as a what whole, that's but kind like, of where I'm at too. Uh, Filming the effects of, like, took 18 months and cost 6.5 million dollars. So over 50 percent mm-hmm. of the budget went to the special effects in the movie because the movie cost 10.5. Um, this is I read this fact and I'm like, if if there's ever a Jacques Renault uh, fact, it is this. The movie was originally intended as a with a roadshow release, including an including an overture, an intermission, exit music, yeah. all with curtain warmers, <laughs> and a thirty five millimeter black and white prologue interview with experts on the possibilities of off Earth biology. Despite the fact that the overture, intermission, and exit music were used, the film still went out without the roadshow release. I, I can't imagine you would not have like dug every aspect of a roadshow feel. Oh, yeah. Even, yeah, even, like, the 35-minute pre-show about, like, 
like interviewing scientists like give me all of that yeah but we did get the overture and intermission which like i've said it before and i'll keep saying it again we talked about killers of the flower moon I'm all for it. The Three first time I saw time. Godfather 2 had an intermission. With, a, with the curtain it, and everything. Yeah, it, it, it's so nice. Like, it, I think so many people would be more down to seeing these long movies if it was like, hey, there's a guaranteed, like, 10-minute break in between, like, in the movie. So, because, like, that's the that's why my mom doesn't like, like, that's why she didn't see the Batman in theater. Because she was like, and it makes I, sense. I, I, uh, I think like three hours so. Alone. Godfather like, two, so, like, I get West Side Story were the only ones movies that I've seen that had the full curtain intermission in theaters when I saw them. Um, and I feel like these movies from the era just had the perfect middle ground. Like Godfather mm-hmm. two, when mm-hmm. when Vito kills uh, Fanucci, like that's it, middle ground there, and then we and we go to break. So that that's where the curtain jerk uh, was on that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The film was originally to have ended just as the book with Bowman discovering mm-hmm. a third monolith on Saturn's moons, Japetus or Japetus. The idea was scrapped because the special effects crew weren't able to make convincing looking rings around Saturn. I really wish we got that because that would have looked super dope. Um, Kubrick previewed the film for critics, but quickly regretted doing so. Among the most indifferent and unfavorable reviews as noted in the documentary 2001 The Making of a Myth, was quoted somewhere between hypnotic and immensely boring from the New York Times. A a monumentally unimaginative movie from Harper's. Space Odyssey feels most gloriously from Musday. Big, beautiful, but plotting sci-fi epic. Superb photography, major assets to confusing, long, unfolding plot from Variety. Great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it literally was just the case for everybody. Everybody just had to really digest it and sit on it before they came back around. I think and like, so. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I remember reading Pauline Kale was negative. Where's our movie, boy Raj? But like, I'm, not, I'm never on this. I'm Let never me look sure at... if she went back. Oh, and he is okay. Revised because okay. I mean, we we. Oh, he's four um, stars. Originally, Hal was to yeah, be called yeah, it's, Athena it's one of his ten and had a female voice. Uh, according to Kier Dula, Dula, Dulea, Nigel Davenport and Martin Balsam, uh, Balsam were hired and later replaced by Douglas Rain, finally landed the role of Hal. Um, yeah, they, they, they did well here. Number 13, according to the film sequel, which I'm wondering, have you seen 2010, the year we make contact? Because it's actually a good movie. It's not, I have it's not, not this, but yeah. I, that's what I keep hearing too. Like everybody says, the, like it's obviously no two thousand one. Yeah, and I know that. Um, doc, uh, I know Doctor Floyd is in there too, uh, right? He's like the one cast no, member who I returns, or it. did Douglas Rain? Although technic- technically, the last received communication of David Bauman okay. was, "My okay. God, it's full of stars." Although that's uh, that was never actually said in the original movie. Uh, so that's I guess we can count Bowman being in two thousand in two thousand ten just for that idea. So it's 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 a good movie. I think it's very like it's Okay. <laughs> for a two thousand one sequel, it did the best the best it possibly could. Like I'm at three and a half stars on it. 
So, um, this is Chris, one of Christopher Nolan's mm-hmm. favorite movie, uh, which yeah. uh, a lot a lot of similarities between Interstellar and and this movie are there. Um, Obviously, despite the movie being called 2001, the film never really actually tells us what year is it. The title tells us. Uh, leads us to assume it is set in 2001, but since there is an 18-month gap between the Haywood uh, Floyd chapter and the David Hal chapter, only one of these two sections can actually take place in 2001. The next prologue at the beginning of 2010 confirms that Bowman's disappearance, disappearance occurs in 2001. So, yeah. This is the first science fiction movie shot on 65 millimeter. Uh, Yeah. Good old, good old Super Panavision seventy. Uh, that was what was shot. They shot like Lawrence West Side Story. Even later, they did like um, they did special effects shots for The Abyss and Close Encounters. I think kind of similar to what they did for like The Dark Knight. Like I'm pretty sure not all of The Dark Knight was filmed in IMAX. But, um, like certain scenes. I mentioned were, Lucas was and, like, heavy influenced like, here. Were. Steven Spielberg said that for his generation, this movie was the Big Bang that got them started. Uh, last couple here. Although a narrator was uh, in the original draft of the screenplay, mm-hmm. I mentioned it wasn't used before. You mentioned the movies that did have only three movies of his did not have narration. Do you know? Did you mention the other two? Yep, correct. Yep. Uh, after watching the movie, Fellini Shining sent and Kubrick shut, a congr- right? congratulatory telegram mm-hmm. that stated, "Dear Stanley, I saw yes, I saw yesterday your film, and I need to tell you my emotion, my enthusiasm. I wish you the best of luck in your path." Uh, last two here, Vivian Kubrick played Doctor Floyd's daughter in the movie, and finally, theories that this movie led. Mm-hmm. To Kubrick faking the moon landing, which leads me to an article stating that was released in from the Paris Review, released three years ago, titled How Stanley Kubrick Staged the Moon Landing. Now, you mentioned the whole conspiracy theory of it all. I think the this is an interesting article to read. I'm not going to get into it right now. But uh, some of the little things on here was the American flag, the astronauts planted on the moon, which should have been flaccid. The moon existing in a vacuum, it's tout in photos, even waving, reveling more than NASA intended. Um, there's number two. There's only one source of light on the moon, the sun, yet the shadows of the astronauts fall in every which way, suggesting multiple light sources are in that photo. There's a lot here. So you should, I, I'll send you the article as well, but you definitely yeah. check this out. I mean, it did, you know, it doesn't really matter, but the conspiracy of it all is always a fun read. But yeah, that is it. Did I miss anything, Jack? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a couple of just like little funny things that I found of, uh, there was actually a band. Can I guess? A, a band was actually approached to write the music for 2001 at one point. The, sure. The Velvet Underground? Yeah. Th- th- think about the era and think about the style this... of the movie. No. you're. Th- th- think, oh, think about. Okay, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's actually Pink Floyd. And what I was going to say. 
I was I was gonna say think about the vibe, and that completely ran me into another story that we completely missed. So I don't know if there has ever been a marketing switch as good as this, but <clears throat> after a viewer in I believe it was San Francisco uh, during the Stargate sequence, he was reportedly uh, on some sort of drug. I believe it was <laughs> acid. He ran right through the theater screen and was, and was screaming, it's God. So because of this story, uh, marketers supposedly switched around the poster and said 2001, the ultimate trip. So then it really began to sell the, uh, kind of sell that aspect. And then like, you know, if you look at, some of the other favorite, it was also a favorite of John Lennon, Mick Jagger, and uh, Cass Elliot of the Mamas and Papas. So all of those like late '60s music groups and all of them, like they were all getting really into it. So it's interesting to see the people, you know, like for every Rock Hudson, you know, you had like a Federico Fellini, and just like somebody else who like did get it. So those people who were there early, man. Is there a movie of his do. that was <laughs> praised from the beginning? Up to do. Because um, The Shining wasn't either. And neither, I believe, was Full Metal Jacket. And Eyes Wide Shut, Cougar? we know. I remember people hating it when it first came out. Um, I mean, you could... I don't think... I mean, there was obviously, like, controversy surrounding Clock yeah, of Orange. But I don't think anybody picture, was straight out saying that it was, like, bad. I, I think everybody was just, like, it was good, but it, it was just, like, you know, like, rated X, debatably so. So, which, like, had it, had it been rated that, I would have been like, eh, I get it. Because, like, that, I, I talked about that book earlier. That was another movie well, that Clockwork? came from that. And oh, yeah. That was definitely a movie I saw too young, but it was, yeah, but it was, but it was probably, like, the worst that I saw for, like, a good several years. Yeah, because everything else was, like, underneath it. Um, let me see. Anything else here? Uh, oh yeah. Um, uh, apparently the, um, the, like you mentioned the monolith, like the choice of it to be like painted and like not be like crystallized. Like they made the choice for it to be like that kind of matte black color. And it became like a big, like a big, like, don't do this on set if you touch the monolith, because then you have to, like, repaint it and, like, make sure that, like, there's no print just because of how, like, the photograph look. And it's, like, mm -hmm. I can't even, like, it's so hard to just describe how it looks, but it's just, like, a pure black almost. And, yeah, any, any like, messing up of that, I'm sure Kubrick would have just gone into awesome. a frenzy. Yeah, this was, uh, uh, I wonder uh, what would have been if everything the I have on my trifecta end. was here with me, you and her, because we've gone one hour and 42 minutes today. This is a very insightful, excellent discussion, as always. Uh, that wraps up everything this for this week. Next week, uh, the annual tradition of this podcast to always celebrate the first week of May for May 4th. May the 4th be with us for Star Wars Day. We always like to do a Star Wars film or a Star Wars topic for the first week of May. So this year we are going to ironically have an anniversary to celebrate the 40th anniversary of what a lot of people thought in 1983 was the last Star Wars movie. But boy, was that wrong. So next week we are going to look at the 40th anniversary of <laughs> Return of the Jedi, which... Uh, also had another title that I 
prefer that we were going to get into next week. Uh, before we go, Jack, thank you as always. Do you want to plug your stuff? Yeah, you can find both of us on the League of Cinephiles on YouTube as well as the awesome. Critic Circle on Instagram. My work and at cinematicreel.com. You can find me on Letterboxd, Cinematic Reel. Same on Instagram. Also, see my work on Rotten Tomatoes. And until next week, see you at the movies, kids. Bye.